This is the Analyzing Anfield podcast on the Blood Red channel, bringing you the best tactical and statistical analysis of Liverpool FC. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Analyzing Anfield, your tactics and analytics podcast, courtesy of the Blood Red channel. I'm Josh Williams and I'm joined by David Hughes. Dave, and new this week, mate, any updates or same as ever? Same as ever, mate, to keep it simple. Uh, you know, I'm a private man as well, so, you know, I don't want to give too much away. <laughs> yeah, but uh, joking aside, all good, mate. Yeah, all good here. Um, how about you? Yeah, same. Uh, not too much going on. Obviously, uh, the football landscape is is calming down a little bit after the, the transfer chaos. Uh, Liverpool were back in action finally after forever away uh, against Cardiff in the FA Cup. So, yeah, sticking with the theme of this season, of, of this year, sorry, since the end of the year, we're going to stick to uh, just talking about overriding themes in Liverpool, um, on Liverpool scene of, of late. Um, and we're going to kind of switch between different things. We're not going to specifically preview Leicester. We're not going to specifically preview Burnley. But we are going to talk about about different things. So, um, in terms of the first point, mate, we're going to talk about uh, Firmino. Because Luis Diaz, well, same thing really. Luis Diaz made his debut. Um, got an assist, which was nice. Mm. But... Um, did quite well for that, didn't he, actually? Nice, uh, nice he footwork. Did, yeah. yeah, he did. I think it's always nice when an attacker in particular gets a return, a scoring return in some way early on, just a kind of nerves, if you like. Yeah. But uh, obviously Klopp's now managing five top attackers. Liverpool have a 4-3-3 system that incorporates three attackers, so there's usually going to be two on the bench. But I thought it was interesting, I got asked about the piece this morning, on it that Firmino played about 10 minutes, albeit, in central midfield. Um, do you think that was very much just one of them on the day against Cardiff in an FA Cup game that you're probably going to win? Or was it a sign of things to come? Was it a hint? You know, what are your thoughts? Do you think he can play there? Uh, I mean, if I answer that initial latter part, first and foremost, I guess you say, yeah, he can. You know, if you look at the kind of things that you need, maybe in a dominant side as a number eight, um, being able to, you know, make third man runs, coming short into gaps, getting on the ball, good technical ability. And, Ironically, if you think a traditional kind of centre forwards, that's not really the, the things you want them to do. You want them to finish attack and move moves rather than you know necessarily coming in and, and helping create them. But but we know Firmino is a little bit different in terms of his in terms of his profile. So yeah, when you when you kind of think about it logically, it, it, it can work. You know, he has he has got the profile that can suit. That being said. I couldn't imagine it being something that you could look to be starting them in that role week in, week out. Um, I think it would be very dependent on the opposition, like it was, you know, Cardiff at home, championship team, fans on side, quite an easy game to to adapt into playing such a role. Uh, I'd be concerned if it was in the Premier League, maybe against tougher opposition away from home. I think it would be a little bit tougher, but... If you were ticking boxes, Josh, you would kind of say, wouldn't you, that, well, he actually ticks a lot more boxes for, for that type of role than perhaps people would, would realise. Yeah, and I think Klopp seems to be shifting, if possible, towards a system that is just so, so attacking. 
Like, for example, if you look at Harvey Elliott, Harvey Elliott, since Klopp's got his hands on him, has been deployed as a number eight. Whereas last season, for Blackburn Rovers, he was a forward. He's always kind of been a forward. But Klopp's had this way of, um, and Guardiola's the same. If you look at those attacking players, and if, if a player is very, very attacking, but he doesn't have that much end product in terms of strict goals and assists, keep them in the team, just move them a bit further away from goal. Uh, he's done it with Oxley Chamberlain, I think, really. Um, Guardiola's done it with a number of players, and just off the top of me, I mean, De Bruyne playing in centre midfield, David Silva playing in centre midfield, um, Harvey Elliott, I think, is an example. So, you know, I, I think it's a it's an interesting idea. I, I agree with you. Though. I do think it's it's going to be match specific. I don't think he will he will start many games as a number eight. Um, but I think he could finish games as number eight when Liverpool maybe have a lead. Um, I don't think Liverpool. I don't think Klopp would be restricted to when he's bringing Firmino on as a sub. I don't think it only has to be for a forward anymore. I think he can bring him on for a number eight. Mm-hmm. And obviously, we should flag as well that you know Firmino's got plenty of experience as a number ten. Um, I know there's slight differences between the two roles there, but in terms of his time in Hoffenheim and Brazil and various points for Liverpool, he's played as a number ten. So. I do think he's definitely qualified to do it. Um, but whether it'll be a permanent shift, I doubt. I think it's more going to be a case of it's going to be another way of getting a minute, really, which is not a bad thing. So do you, on that on that specific point, and maybe touching a little bit on, on what we were talking about last week about he could maybe be sold, do you think he's going to be the one that really struggles out that five now to start playing consistently? Bearing in mind for the past, you know, three or four years, he has been one of the first names on the team. She's hasn't he? And even at times, I know more recent recently he's, he's been criticised, but even at times, you know, he was often considered the uh, the glue. And when he didn't play, there was a there was a feeling that Liverpool's attack didn't really function. Now, you know, do you personally? You know, people might disagree, but I'm just putting it to you. Uh, do you think that out of those five attackers now, he's the, the player that, if it was a pecking order, he's potentially at the bottom? Is he at that stage? I don't know about at the bottom of a pecking order, but I think you have to be honest in that he is the oldest. Um, he's been at the club the longest. And I wrote a piece the other day and I kind of realised that if you look at the five of them, for, for me, that was probably the least... Um, versatile in a, in a way in a way I mean if you look at for example Mane and Jota they can play on the left the right through the middle Diaz can play supposedly on the left the right through the middle even though I think Diaz is very much a player for the left Salah can play through the middle and on the wing but I think Firmino is different in that he is restricted to the middle of the park um, and if Liverpool's customary system obviously doesn't incorporate number 10. So in Liverpool's customary system, he's only really got one role and that's why this is interesting because maybe now this is Klopp's way of finding him a second role as a number 8. But I think it, it it's much easier for players to get minutes if they can play anywhere basically. You know, Milner can get minutes as a number 8 or even as a fullback. Um Fabinho can get minutes as a centre back in certain times, and Jota can get minutes as a 
on the left, on the right, to the middle, even as a 10. So it's that easy to get those players on the pitch. Whereas Firmino, I think he's he's maybe becoming the trickiest to get on the field. But as I said, I think this is potentially a solution of, of resolving that. Mm. Yeah, I'd probably agree with a lot of that. Um, just the just on the, the, the sale thing as well. I don't actually think Liverpool will sell him. Mm. Um, I think he'll probably just run his contract down here and, and leave on a free like Wine Album did. But I think if you're referring to last week, I think it's more a case of if Liverpool was to get a bid from him, uh, for him, for Michael Atletico Madrid or, or someone like that. I'm, I was just curious at the time as to whether Liverpool would potentially cash in or not. But I, I, I can't see it personally. I think he will leave Liverpool on the free. Um, yeah, I just felt I, the need to uh, resolve that one. I, I disagree, actually, on that point. I uh, I could see him being sold uh, if a big come in, like, definitely. How much uh, are we talking though? Because he's, he, he'll have 12 months left on his deal in the summer. Hmm. So any bid for him is probably going to be less than... Maybe what Klopp values him ah, if you know what I mean. If I if I was Liverpool and someone made a uh, twenty five million pounds bid for Roberto for me, you know, in the summer, I would definitely sell. What if it was twenty? Oh, why are you doing this to me? <laughs> yeah, I think uh, I think that's what makes it tricky, mate. Because twenty million is a decent fee for a thirty year old player who's got one year left on his deal, but then. I think it's vaguely similar to why Liverpool didn't actively try to sell Wijnaldum because Liverpool could have probably got 20, 25 million for Wijnaldum at the time, a year before his deal went out. But it didn't make that much sense to put him in the shop window because he would probably contribute around that much. He, he, he would probably contribute a serious bit of value on the pitch throughout the season anyway before he leaves. So I think although it makes sense to to cash in on Firmino's in, in a way. It also makes sense to, to keep him round if the bid isn't isn't strong enough, if you see what I mean. So if the bid's around 20, which I think is, it's really in the, in between what you would want to take and what the, what the opposing club would probably want to pay. Um, I think that it would leave you with that question mark of, well, it's only 20 million. Is it worth just keeping him for another season? I, uh, yeah, you're right. Even, but what I would say for me, and it's all opinions, isn't it? But for me, I'd probably still uh, take 20 million. That would be my absolute bottom line. Uh, just because I feel like there's 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 a lot of attacking talent there now and there's similar a similar profile to an extent in Jota. Not exactly the same, but similar. Uh, so I'd maybe be tempted to take that. But, you know, we're, we're talking theoretically here, aren't yeah. we, at the end of the day? We don't, there isn't an offer that's come in. No. You possibly uh, also have to throw in there about the, the, the car value deal. You know, if that was to come in, that, mm. that he could potentially be another, um, maybe a hurdle for Firmino to get around in terms of getting on the pitch. And obviously, I, I tweeted a few months ago that I think this season, I think he's okay at the minute, but this, this season Firmino's, had, Firmino's missed more days or, or more matches through injury than in any, any of his previous five years at Liverpool. Um, and that's that could be due to age, you know, it could be things like that. So anyway, it's an interesting one to follow. Um, I do genuinely like when they, when players start to occupy a new position, something about it that I, I think is quite refreshing. I think it gives the player 
a challenge. It, it tests the player. It can mix things up a little bit. Um, so yeah, I don't I don't mind him as a, as an eight really. Um, it's going to be interesting to see if we see any, any more of it moving forward, mate. Mm, yeah, one to watch. Analyzing Anfield on the Blood Red Channel. In terms of other talking points, we have a few to get through, but specifically Harvey Elliott. I think we 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 can't look past. We have to give him a shout. Really good to see him back, and. He made quite the impression, to be fair, as well. He was given about half an hour. When he was on the ball, he was very, very lively, wanted to make things happen. Uh, he's a keen presser as well, which you like about him. And he scored. <laughs> Have you seen yeah. the goal? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, watched it. It was a, a very, very good goal, like it was. Yeah, very well-taken goal with his left foot. And, um, I mean, he's a top player, isn't he? I'm really excited as to what he's going to become. Yeah, he is. You know, we... Uh... If you kind of think when you first come in, we, uh, we, I mean, we talked about this a few months ago, but you, you, you expected this, maybe he'd be a bit of an understudy to Salah based on what we knew of him and what he'd been doing at Blackburn. Although he played a few different roles with them, predominantly it was, you know, a right wing role. And, you know, my, my opinion was he'd just be kind of getting bedded in over those first few months or maybe across the season. But, I mean, very quickly, you know, he he come in at that right side of number eight role. Um, he turned, you know, kind of a, a really tricky duo into a threatening trio, really, over there. And they were, you know, just combining really well, uh, all able to rotate into each other's positions, all carrying their own individual threats. It just made that right side really, really dangerous uh, for Liverpool. And you're starting to think, like, you know, it wasn't really the token appearances he were get he was getting. He was starting to become one of the more key players in the team. You know, one of the first names in the team sheet in those first few weeks. Obviously, that injury completely changed everything. But I was really impressed by how he uh, he come back in and in that game on Sunday, and I didn't even look like he'd been away. He looked so so dangerous on the ball, as you said, works really hard off it, and um, kind of has the goal to cap off. What was a really good cameo. Yeah, as I said, I'm I'm very very excited about him. I think he's very much a um, like an ace up club up club sleeve. I think, um, and I think he, he could potentially be one of the reasons as to why Liverpool didn't go and sign a a like for like direct replacement for Wijnaldum in the summer in terms of a midfield body because of how much of a part Elliot was going to play. You know, he was starting games against Chelsea in the Premier League before he got injured. Um, he played he played and started in every pre-season game, I think. And usually Klopp has two teams in pre-season and he was always in the strong 11, not the second strings teams. So, and, and Klopp seems to be, the way he's been with them, it reminds me a little bit of what he was like with Mario Götze at, at uh, Borussia Dortmund. Um, like a father figure who's bringing through a teenager who's quite clearly got bags and bags of potential. Um, he's a Liverpool fan, which I think can only help his commitment to the cause. And he just looks, he looks very, very good. I don't want to get carried away, but he looks really well-rounded. He looks very modern in terms of his, his, his willingness to really work and grind without the ball um, and press, work hard for the team. And then when he gets it, he's just super technical, um, very good close control. He makes great decisions on the ball, um, moves to play forward. His progressive passes num- passing numbers uh, we're looking really, really good, but then he got injured. 
but uh, it's going to be interesting to see how they how they look once he's played enough minutes to compare them to some other players. Um, but I, I am honestly very very excited about him, and I think he can be. I mean, think of what he could be in seven years. You know, how old is he now? He's eighteen. He's eighteen. Mm. So in seven years, you're looking at a, about a 25, 26 year old. <laughs> I think he could be incredible. I think he could be a really, really top player. Yeah, I mean the thing is, there's a big obsession with like the uh, the Liverpool fan base with you know talents like Bellingham, for example. Uh, and we're talking about two different players, completely really in terms of profiles. But if you're getting excited about the potential signing of him and wanting Liverpool to splash, you know, eighty, hundred million, whatever, bringing him in. Then you've got to be equally excited, really, about Elliot, who's already at the club. Because in terms of, in terms of ceilings, you know, and, and how high the ceilings are for both those players in their respective positions, they're on par for me from what we've seen so far. I mean, you look at, although Elliot's played a lot less in terms of a senior football, uh, you know, a lot less Champions League, etc. Just based on what we've seen playing for two really good sides, you know, Elliot. Is a top top player. He looks like he's going to be a truly elite player as well. He's had a bad injury and he looks like he's going to bounce back from it like it very quickly, uh, based on what we saw Sunday. So the excitement for him should be huge. Really, he he, he genuinely does look like he can go on and be like a, a top Liverpool player. And where the funny thing is, Josh, isn't it? We're we're talking about these uh, the conundrum with the five attackers at the club. We're not even including them, are we? Because obviously we're thinking no. of him as a as number eight, but you know he's going to be part of that group as well. Well, I suppose in in that in that sense, it's nice that he's uh, that he's left footed because obviously Liverpool have now five top attackers, but only one of them is left footed, and that that is Mo Salah. Um, so I think if Salah's not on the team, I know Elliot is being used as an eight, but I think there's some potential there for him to occupy Salah's role. I know he's not as quick as him. Um, not as much of a threat in behind, but he's he's certainly dangerous on the ball. And, you know, I, I like to think that we moved quick on on Elliot on this podcast. You know, I remember flagging him a few times on on last last season shows. Um, you know, it, it shouldn't really be overlooked that as a seventeen year old kid, seventeen years old, he started thirty one championship games and featured in forty one of them. Um, registered in seven goals. And eleven assists, none of which were from penalties. And I don't think he took set pieces. I don't think he did. So, you know, is is um the the speed at which he's matured, he's well ahead of his of of what his developments, typical developments. And if you think of some of the other players who are, are like him, like is there any players off the top of your head, mate, that you you see in him, you know, you compare to him or you can see him following similar footsteps because I've got a few off the top of my head that that reminds me a little bit of him. Like who? Well, I think Mason Mount comes to mind for me because mm-hmm. Mason Mount is very, very good in tight spaces, very tricky, posts a good level of output, but without the ball, absolutely works like a dog as well. Mm-hmm. Um, very, very committed to the Chelsea cause. But then if you think of what Mount was doing when Mount was 17, 18, I think he was I think he was doing okay, but I think he was in like playing for Vitesse um, and just, you know, mm. playing in the kids' league, basically. Um, yeah. And I think, you know, other players, I mean, 
I've compared him in the past a little bit to Coutinho. I think Coutinho, I'm not sure what Coutinho was doing when he was 17, 18. I'll double check that in a sec. Grealish, when Grealish was 17, 18, I think it was, it was barely on the scene. But I think I just want to fly like Elliot, Elliot is, is well ahead of, of what you'd expect. For his age, definitely, yeah. You know, for those reasons you've just said, those those players similar there were nowhere near uh, the first team of a, a team as good as Liverpool. Uh, you know, they might have been playing senior football, uh, but if you compare what Liverpool are to maybe where those players were, uh, it's, it's it's very much chalk and cheese. You know, it's a lot easier to break into those sides. I don't think it is that easy at Liverpool. Um, and again, it's a testament to just just how good he is. Uh, I, I agree with virtually everything you've said on him there. I think he's going to be a top player. Yeah. Um, so, have you got... Sorry, I was going to say, then, have you got anyone in mind that you that you compare him to? But, um, you no, mate, no. There's many thoughts as well. No, it's not that. It's just it's uh, it's hard. You know, I think he's a he's a really he's a really good talent. I think some of the names you mentioned there. Yeah, uh, I can't really think off the top of my head, mate. There's a. Uh, he's he, it's it, I don't know anyone certainly at his age who was as good as he is now in that position at least. There's not too many as well, is there? Who can play as an eight really, really well, but can also be used as a forward, depending on on the system or depending on the coach. And that's another reason why Mount came to mind for me, because Mount is very, very good as an, as an eight. But since Sugo came in, he's been used as a ten. Um, so he's got that that kind of two way dynamic versatility and stuff. But we'll leave I it there anyway. But... Play it. Yeah, just on that, I never expected him to play eight at all this year. Just didn't see that happening. At all. I didn't see it. You know, I'm disappointed in myself actually for not seeing yeah. it as well. Uh, but now you can see why it makes so much sense. Yeah, especially with those players that ahead of him, who we can feed. You know, the, the, the runs and behind and things like that. If he's got, if he's got to go like for a pass, he makes a good decision. Um, and his, and his te- technical execution is really good, and he's going to find those players. Yeah, and it, it's also a way that he can play. You know, we were talking about Firmino earlier about getting him on the pitch. Doesn't even though he's really good. Uh, you couldn't have really justified at this stage could you dropping him for, for Salah because of the form Salah's in, you know, being the best player in the world for, for this season. So playing time would have been really uh, at a premium. But of course, now you you find a role for him where he's he's not only getting to play, but he's really in, in, impacting the team positively. So it's a, it's a win-win. Yeah, we'll leave that one there anyway, but it's it's going to be interesting to see how much of a part he plays between now and the end of the season because I am inclined to think he will... He, I think he'll be quite heavily, heavily involved, personally. Um, but perhaps the upcoming match against Leicester might come too soon for him to start, potentially. Um, but in, in terms of Leicester, it's quite an interesting situation developing over there at the minute. Did you see the Brendan Rodgers comments? No, no, I haven't. Haven't you seen them? No, 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 fill me in. Well, they lost 4-1 to yeah. Nottingham Forest in the FA Cup. Mm. And after the game, in a very uncharacteristic way, Rodgers basically threw, threw his players under the bus. Um, he suggested that some of his players have lost the hunger since um, winning the FA Cup. He suggested that some of the players' time is up at the club. He hinted that a summer overhaul is needed. Um, they weren't doing the basics, all that sort of stuff. Uh, a little bit Mourinho, to be honest. Yeah, sounds um, it. Some cliche lines in there. Yeah, yeah. But I think it's, 
I think it was an interesting tactic because even if on the back of that now he gets a reaction, even if you get a reaction, you can still get tonked by Liverpool. You can still get beaten 3 0. And if he gets beat 3 0 on the back of publicly criticising his players, I think that one could spiral very, very quickly. So do you see, uh, do you think he's under a little bit of pressure, do you? Yeah, I do. Um, I don't, I mean, there's been historic issues with Rodgers and specifically recruitment. I think we flagged it on this show before. I think in uh, Jordan's time at Liverpool in particular, he was, he was a bit of a, he conflicted a little bit with the, you know, Michael Edwards and, and the whole data-driven recruitment thing. I think he wanted his own say on certain signs and that's why the club bought the likes of Lallana and Ben Teke. Um, and I do think if you look at the Leicester squad since he's been there, I think it's still good, but I don't think it's as strong as it was um, when he first arrived. And I'm, I am curious as to whether he's had any impact on that or whether Leicester have just had a, a few fewer hits in the market. Mm. I just think if you look at his time at Leicester, I find it a little bit difficult to nail, personally. I, th- I find it quite hard to sum up. I don't think he's done bad, I, but I don't know if he's done great. And, you know, there's a bit of a... It's a bit vague for me. Well, I mean, he won the FA Cup, didn't he? So I guess that... Uh, if there's cracks to be papered over, I think that does it. Uh, but let me let's have a quick look at where they've actually finished then in the table last few years. So uh, I don't. I mean, you know, they've had two two fifth place consecutive finishes, haven't they? Last season and this season before, uh, they won the FA Cup as well. Um, I mean, that in isolation is not bad, really. If you think about who Leicester are. But then you have to, I suppose you have to couple in with that. In Europe, they've been a bit of a bit of a disaster, hmm. um, and yeah. you know, was it, I think his teams. I mean, to be fair, fifth in the table is probably where his squad has been. To be hmm. honest, maybe a little even a little bit lower than that. So as I said, I think he's done. I do think he's done a good job, but I'm not. I'm not sure how good. I'm not exactly sure where it's going because the current Leicester do look weaker, in my opinion, in the past couple of seasons. And I'm not sure how much he is to blame for that. Well, I mean, what what is poignant, I guess, and worth highlighting is last season after 20 games, the uh, they had 13 more points than they than they have now. Um, the season before, after 20 games, they had 16 more points than what they've had now. So this season has been a fairly notable uh, regression, hasn't it? Really, and I know they're, they're sitting 10th in the table at the moment. But they've had a fair few postponements. Um, but even if you so they've actually played two games since uh, since they beat Liverpool on the twenty eighth. So they've only played twice, and this is in the league at least. I mean, we obviously know they got beat by Forest in the FA Cup, uh, but they didn't win either against Tottenham or Brighton. No, there was a defeat and a, a draw. Uh, but to be honest with you, Josh, even if you were to give them the points for those games in hand. They'd still only be around seventh or eighth in the table, and that's no guarantee that they will win those matches as well. They've got uh, Everton away, which I think now becomes a much tougher fixture. Um, Burnley away, well, you know that's it, it, that can be tough, can't it? Uh, then Norwich at home, they, they, you know they probably should be looking to win that. But there's definitely been a regression in them this season, hasn't it? In, in terms of actual points accumulated in comparison to you know last season and the season before. 
Analyzing Anfield on the Blood Red Channel. Yeah, well, one of the main things that I've kind of realised in the past couple of months about Leicester is if you look at when he took charge, he was kind of there was a few players who were quite obviously packed full of potential, ready to make that next step. And I think three that come to mind are Harvey Barnes, James Madison, and Yuri Tillemans. And I think since Rogers come in, Rogers is regarded quite widely as a coach who improves young players and, and things like that. I would say only one of those three have improved, and that is Tillemans for me. Um, I think Madison and Barnes have arguably regressed in a way. I don't mm. think they've pushed on. I don't think that they're now worth more than they were. I don't think... I mean, just look at the, the level of interest from what supposed bigger clubs in them. There's not that much, really. Mm. Um, Barnes was supposedly on Liverpool shortlist a while back. I, I was a player who was very, very interested by him. Seems to have just kind of fell off a little tiny bit. I'm not really sure what's happened. But it's, it's just... I spoke about last week, didn't I, when we spoke about Diaz? You know the the leap type thing, the concept of of the making the leap in, in your career. It feels like Barnes and Madison haven't done it, and again, if it's difficult to determine how much of that is down to Rogers, um, and how much is down to you know the player. It's it's funny, you know, as we're talking here, I, I'm agreeing with you. I'm nodding along, and then I'm just having a look at uh, both players, uh, both uh, Madison and, and Harvey Barnes, just because. I've kind of kept seeing. Do you ever have it where you've got certain players that just stay the same age in your head for a prolonged period? <laughs> uh, because, and the reason I say it, because we're talking about that step, so you kind of see them in a position where they're going to eventually uh, or soon make that next step as they reach the next stage of the career, which normally tends to happen. But, I mean, Madison now is... Uh, He's 25, he's 26 later this year. Uh, Barnes, 24, uh, he, he's 25 at the very end of, of the year. But um, they're a little bit, a little bit older than I remember. They are starting to tick on a little bit. And as you said, there doesn't really seem to be a lot of, uh, you can't see where the evolution or where the pathway is to that next big step for them really, can you? Say, if you compare it to, Who's a good good example with a good coaching place? Okay, I'll tell you if you compared it to Declan right. Rice. No, I was, I was gonna say Brighton. Yeah, no, I was gonna say Declan Rice. Uh different players, of course, profile wise, but if you watch Declan Declan Rice now compare him to maybe 18 months ago, uh, I think you're looking looking at a completely different quality of player. You know, I think Declan Rice is really at the top of his game. I think he's uh, progressed and developed really well. I could be way off in putting some of that, uh, attributing some of that success to David Moyes. I, I could be wrong on that. Obviously, we're not here. We're not privy to, to the sessions. But all we can talk about is what we see on the football pitch. And he's definitely developed. And he'll probably end up somewhere like maybe Manchester United in, in the summer. Uh, with them, it's not as obvious. And goes back to your point, you know, do you kind of attribute some of that to uh, to the coach because if it was maybe just one individual you point your finger at them but there's, there's two good players there they've not really kicked on recently yeah I think I think you can potentially put some of it down to the the, the way Rodgers likes to interpret the squad like he's he's always been 
uh, a self-proclaimed, really tactical coach. He's very, very much a tactician in his own mind, at least. Um, but I think when it comes to recruiting, he's always wanted more options. He's always wanted more, more tactical options to use, more solutions in the in the match, um, more tools, if you like. And I think if you compare that to Klopp, Klopp has has wanted the opposite in a way. Klopp's just stuck with four three three the whole way, and he's just focused on improving the individuals executing the four three three. If you see what I mean, hmm. so you get a better goalkeeper in Allison, you get a better centre back in Van Dijk, you get a better left back, you get a better right back, whatever. But you stick with the four three three, and the players kind of make it better. But I feel like Rogers has always been inclined to not stick to a set formation and to buy loads of players who can just mix things up for him. Um, and if you look at his current squad at the minute, for example, I think potentially one of the reasons Barnes is potentially struggling is Rodgers has three strikers, each of whom could probably stake a claim to start. And then you also have a, a number 10 in, in Madison, um, who, who obviously has a claim to start. If you're playing, you know, even three of those four players that I've just listed, um, it's difficult to incorporate a, a wide player and like like Barnes in certain formations. Mm. So I've I've always felt he's a bit. I've always felt he's 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 not a good recruiter. Rogers, he's he's not good at. He, I think he's a good coach. I think he's a very good communicator. He's good with the media. Um, and I do, I do actually think, despite what I'm saying here, I do think he's good at, at developing young players. If you look at how he, how he developed, you know, Coutinho and Sterling. Sturridge. I can't believe you're contradicting our big points here. <laughs> no, I think what I'm getting at is, is his, his, his foresight or vision for the squad. I don't think is that good, and I think that goes back through most of his career, really. Um, I'm not as I said. I'm not sure how much of the current Leicester squad is down to him. If you look at their summer business, Aftenbacher, uh, Sumare, Bestergaard, Bertrand, Luchman on loan, and he brought through Dewsbury Hall from the from the under twenty threes. Um, I feel Do like it? that's go on. Come on. I was going to say how, how many of them are regularly playing. I think Luchman does, uh, but. Yeah, well, even even Dakar, like, I'd be curious to, uh, maybe he's along the same replacement for Vardy, but I'd be mm. curious to know what the plan is there. Um, I think, you know, Bertrand was a free transfer, to be fair to him. Sumare, I'm not really, I, I, I thought Sumare was a bit of a long-term air for Tillemans, but I don't think he's really kicked on. I don't think mm. he's had the best first season in England. I don't know. I'm not really sure, to be honest, what my overriding point is, really. But I do think, I do think Rodgers is a difficult one to nail in this current situation at Leicester, going into a game with Liverpool at Anfield, is really not the best. And I, I guess what I'm trying to hint at is, I'm not sure how much of their their issues this season stem from from some of his decisions regarding the squad, maybe. Yeah, and then there's a wider point that you know. If uh, if Liverpool go and taunt them, um, if they lose maybe some of those games in hand, do, do, does the pressure start to mount a little bit on them? Uh, and it, it could do, couldn't it, really? 
you know, if they if they went and put a a mid table finish in, nothing really in any cup or your uh, European competitions, then it could turn sour fast. And I guess that's worth noting because he's a, he's considered one of the better coaches, one of the better British coaches around, and it, it could turn very quickly. And especially when you uh, when you dig out players. Uh, like you said, I'd say I didn't even see those quotes. I'm, I'll be honest, didn't see them, but uh, I'm quite surprised at them. Yeah, I am as well. It's something that Klopp has, has never done. He's been very, very reluctant to do from what I've seen. Um, so for Rodgers to do that, he's kind. What he's kind of saying is, on the back of a heavy, heavy defeat, he's kind of saying it was the it was the players that weren't me, you know. And that, that's quite a big move to make in the modern day. If you look at their numbers for the season, so their attack isn't bad, but it's it works in a specific way by the looks of it. So, in terms of the shots that they generate, they're about mid-table for, for shots. You don't generate that much. But then if you look at expected goals, they have the fourth best attack. So, what that kind of suggests is if they're mid-table for shots, but they are fourth for expected goals, probably suggests that when the shots do come, they're quite clear-cut. And, and that is that is true. Um the expected goal per shot is the joint best in the league alongside Liverpool, funnily enough. So when it comes to facing Leicester, don't expect them to create that much, but when they do, you know, they focus on quality over quantity, basically. Hmm. Um, and on the defensive side of the game, only Burnley face more shots than Leicester do. Leicester are averaging about 16 against per game. Uh, that's a lot. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot, yeah. Yeah, especially for a team that is obviously competing meant to be competing closer at the top end of the table. Yeah. Liverpool average about half that. Liverpool face about eight point six per game. So for Leicester to be facing sixteen, just over sixteen, there's no way in which that can be deemed as good, really. I mean, if if the expected goals on each of those shots isn't that high, then that's good in a way, but that's not really the case. The expected goals is normal on those shots. So they have not got the best defence. Um how, how's that um, translated in actual goals against? So they so so only five teams have conceded more, but the most of those teams have played more games as well. So it's yeah. it's yeah, it's not as if they're kind of riding that out a little bit hardy and getting away with it. It, it is costing them goals, which inevitably cost you points. Yeah. I mean looking at Goals conceded on a per match basis because the league's all over the place, isn't it? In terms of people playing yeah. different games, uh, only Watford, Leeds, Norwich, and Newcastle have conceded more on average per game. Leicester conceding more than Everton, even. Um, <laughs> that's no offense, that's, that, that, that's the bar, <laughs> even Everton. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, Everton, Everton have, have been publicized to be in a bit of a crisis. They've got rid of the coach, the fans yeah, have yeah. uproar and all that. And Leicester, who haven't really been portrayed much as being in that much of a crisis, have conceded more on a per 90 basis. And, and you could argue the, the aspirations for Leicester are a little bit higher. So, mm, fair point. Just yeah. Trying to put it into perspective how much of a disaster these seems to be experiencing. So, I think you know with Liverpool on the horizon, if it goes wrong, it could go quite quite heavily wrong. Yeah, I was just uh, I was just thinking as we were talking then that uh, <laughs> obviously we didn't drill drill down on Leicester to the extent that we have now, but we uh, we did talk about them a little bit. Uh, we predicted a fairly comfortable Liverpool win, and then. They go and lose one nil 
uh, <laughs> which was which was quite a shock at the time. I, I'll be honest. I think for the reasons we've just stated, I don't expect that to happen this time, especially with Liverpool being at home. Uh, I do expect Leicester to to struggle, Liverpool to do well, and then potentially this could be the um, the start of Mount pressure for Rodgers, which would be quite ironic. Uh, obviously, with him being a former Liverpool manager, so so we'll have to we'll have to see how it pans out. But I do expect Liverpool to find this one a fairly comfortable win. Yeah, I do as well, and I I, I tend to say that I've, when we preview most games against Leicester, I I personally enjoy joining Liverpool facing. Um, I don't think they can get out their own half most of the time. I think Liverpool really press them into the ground and dominate per seasons, and the expected goals usually very very favourable. I think in the past couple of seasons they've picked up some nice results against us because of some moments of chaos, maybe. But I think for the most part, Liverpool have, have controlled everything. Um, and I think Liverpool generally like facing these teams who are really dedicated to building from the back. But in terms of individuals, they're not as strong as Liverpool. So Liverpool are basically pressing the team that they're better than. But who are trying to go toe to toe with them in football and teams, I suppose. So Liverpool usually come out the opposite end, having dominated per season. So it'll be interesting to see how this one goes. Hopefully, it'll go the same way. Um, but yeah, I think we'll leave it there, mate. I think we've covered most of the elements of this week. Not a lot going on, but it's going to be back. Good, good to get back to uh, Premier League football. And yeah, we'll see how Liverpool get on. Obviously, we've got Burnley on the weekend as well, uh, and we'll be back next week. So yeah, Dave, thanks for joining us, mate. Thank you, mate. Cheers, everyone. And we'll be back next week to uh, talk about more Liverpool-related themes. So, uh, see you then. You've been listening to the Analyzing Anfield podcast on the Blood Red channel.